This morning, we're going to continue our series we've titled Prophet, Priest, and King. In this Advent series, we've been looking at a few different aspects of Jesus' role as the Christ, the promised Messiah. As we've looked at these different roles, we've also seen how there are certain people, certain stations in the Old Testament that foreshadow that aspect of Christ. Sometimes these foreshadowing Old Testament people are called types of, of Christ, precursors of Jesus who had important roles, but roles that Christ would one day fulfill in a greater, more complete way. Last week, we looked at Christ the sacrifice, which was a kind of Christ the priest part two. We saw, however, though our sacrifices fall short, Christ's sacrifice never will. This week, we'll be looking at Christ the King. And it's interesting because we haven't really seen Christ in this role as King here on earth yet. And so this week, we rest in the promise of Advent even more fully as we wait for his promised return and all that will come with it. Our text this morning is Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 to 14. Typically, when we think of, of Christ's return, when we think of the prophecy about the future, we think we'll end up in the book of Revelations. Like that, That's typically what we think. But the book of Daniel actually has quite a bit of end times prophecy nestled between its pages. The prophet in exile was known for more than just a night spent with lions. Much of what we know about Christ's return and the state of the world before he comes is found in the book of Daniel. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I encourage you to follow along. There should be a Bible on the back of the pew in front of you, but if you would prefer, the words will also be on the screens. We read the word of the Lord today. We haven't done a bunch of standing today, so I'm going to have us stand as we read the word this morning. Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 to 14. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. That ends the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. And God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. Amen. You may be seated. A few years ago, during Christmas, the present that one of our boys had really wanted was sold out. I couldn't, I couldn't find it anywhere. Amazon, Target, Walmart, mom-and-pop shops, you name it, I looked, and, and it, was, it was unavailable. And so Karen and I had to pivot, right? We, we had to get him something else, and that was a bit of a tense Christmas morning for me. I knew that his brothers were going to love their gifts. I was not sure if he would. We wrapped the presents and we put them under the tree and on Christmas morning, the boys ran down the stairs and took their places on the couch and the Stemberg Christmas morning mayhem began. Maybe we shouldn't have gotten a box that was similar in shape to the one that he had been hoping for. Maybe we should have looked harder. Maybe, maybe we should have spent more time looking for what he had been hoping to get. When our son ripped the paper off that gift, a bit of my heart ripped with it as I watched his face fall. 
This wasn't what he wanted. This wasn't what he had expected. Mom and Dad had been so good at giving him things he likes, things that he had hoped for. And this time, this Christmas, the gift fell short. He put on a brave face. He thanked us for the present. But his disappointment was obvious to those of us who knew him so well and who loved him so much. And as a parent, it was the worst. Nobody wants to be a disappointment. But there's that lingering fear that we're going to let those around us down, isn't there? Those that are counting on us, those that we love, those that love us, those that we want to impress, even, even ourselves. The daughter-in-law who is trying to live up to the standards of cooking that her husband grew accustomed to under his mother's roof. Maybe you've just gotten a new job and, and you aren't sure that you meet the expectations for that job. You killed the interview, but you interview well. And, and what's going to happen if your fears come true and they realize you aren't as gifted and talented or professional as you made them believe? Will they be disappointed in you? And if they are, will they fire you? What about those back home that that you need to help support? Will your great interview in getting a job that's a bit above your head lead those that are counting on you to disappointment in you? Maybe it's not a due job. Maybe it's one you've been at for a while, but you messed up or, or they messed up and now you've been fired or laid off. How will you face your family? What will, what will people think of you? Will you be a disappointment to them? Maybe you study your tail off for that big exam but it just didn't go the way you'd hoped. It didn't feel right when you took it. The answers you had, been, you had during your study sessions just, just left your brain when you needed them, and now you aren't sure you've even passed the test. Will your teacher be disappointed in you? Will your parents? How will you deal with the disappointment you feel with yourself? You need good grades to get into that college or that advanced program or to be looked at for that job you, you desperately want so so what happens now? Maybe you just fell off the wagon a little bit. You slipped into one of your pet sins again, and you aren't proud of it, but you're desperate for no one to know because you've already been forgiven for this one so many times. You don't want people to, to be disappointed in the fact that you couldn't, couldn't keep it together, that, that you couldn't say no to temptation like you'd promised you would. You, you don't want to hurt the people you've sinned against any more than you already have. You don't want any of them to be disappointed you again. Not for this. These are just a few examples, and, and maybe you don't relate to any of them, but I know that there are places and areas of your life that you are nervous that you're going to let someone down. Spaces that others are counting on you and, you're, and you fear that you will fail and that they will be disappointed in you. We all have areas that we fear that we will be a disappointment. We all have areas that we know that we have disappointed God. His instructions are clear. His desire for us isn't hidden. He's given us his law, his, his instructions that are for our betterment, not, not for his hubris. If we are to follow God's laws perfectly, then life would be so much better for us and, and for those around us. It'd be so much more fulfilling. It would hold so much deeper meaning, and yet we struggle, don't we? We struggle with God's instruction and lean on our own thoughts, our own hopes, our own dreams and desires, and so ultimately, ultimately we disappoint our God. 
And to go along with that, we all have spaces that we fear that we'll be disappointed, don't we? We've all been hurt before. We've been let down before. We've put our expectations on something, on someone, and it hasn't come through. And, and we've had to live with that. And it's not fun. It, it's not what we want. We desire to give the benefit of the doubt to others, to those that we love, to those that we interact with. But man, sometimes disappointment just feels inevitable. And how do we, how do we deal with that? How do we work through that? As we've been working through this Advent series, Prophet, Priest, and King, we've reached the week where we focus on Christ the King. Now, there are a few kings in the Old Testament, but the one that would be considered a type of Christ is King David, the youngest brother who faced the fears of a nation and slew the giant Goliath, the young shepherd who fought off bear and lion to keep his father's flocks safe, The poet who gave us so many of the psalms, gave us words to praise our God with, and who gave us words to cry as we deal with the pain, loss, and suffering of life here in this broken world. He was best friend and the son of the king who desired him dead. He was noble and loyal. He was a man of integrity. He was called the man after God's own heart. This was the king that the people had waited for. This was the king that the people had longed for. How thankful they were for David. They had dealt with bad leadership before. Surely David would put everything right. Surely David wouldn't disappoint them. But those of us who have read a bit more of David's story, who have followed it further down its winding course, know that David, though at times a great king, though a man after God's own heart, was a miserable father. Some of his sons did atrocious things, things I'm not comfortable talking about from the pulpit, to spite, to annoy, to challenge, to dishonor their father. And this King David, this writer of the Psalms, this ruler and leader that everyone was so excited about, ended up being an adulterer, a murderer. Between his personal failings and his disastrous parenting, David didn't end his run as king very well. So though in some ways his rule was great for the kingdom of Israel, and in some pretty important ways, David and his kingship was a colossal disappointment. To a degree, we have all experienced disappointment with leaders, haven't we? Who of us hasn't at some point been disappointed with the presidents that have held office over the course of our lives? Who of us have not been disappointed by our bosses, our superiors, our elders, our teachers, our parents? Our pastors. How about God? Are we ever disappointed in God? Do we ever find ourselves wondering why He would let us go through the things that He let us go through? Do we wonder why life is so hard? Do we wonder why, if God loves us like He says that He does, why we don't feel loved sometimes? Do we struggle with God? Does the way that God works in our lives sometimes disappoint us? Jesus was the true king. He's he's the king that was promised. He's supposed to be perfect in all the ways that David failed. He's not supposed to disappoint, but to anoint, to lift up, to meet the expectations that he himself set. So where is the king that was promised? How come things are so hard? Why do we sometimes feel disappointed in God? Those are hard questions. And much ink has been spilt trying to answer them. 
As I was working through the text this morning and wrestling with how to handle some of these, these questions, I was struck by the verses that both precede and follow them. The beginning of Daniel 7 starts with a dream of four beasts. Monsters that rise up out of the sea. One is a lion with wings like an eagle. The second beast is a bear that seeks to devour and is given license to do so. The third beast resembles a leopard but with four heads. And and this great cat also has wings and we're told is given the authority to rule. The final beast strikes fear into the heart of Daniel as he is having this vision. He doesn't give us the shape of the beast, but he says it is frightening and powerful. He states that it is different from all the other beasts and that it has ten horns. This one, this one in particular, was utterly terrifying to Daniel. And then the heavens opened. And the Ancient of Days, God, took his seat in all his power. And he strips the authority of the first three beasts and the fourth beast... The fourth beast is destroyed. And then come our verses this morning. In my vision I looked at night. At night I looked. And there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days, God, and was led into his presence. He was given authority and glory and sovereign power. And all nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Verses of promise. Verses of hope. Verses that tell us of Jesus, the true king. The one who will have and does have all authority. For it has been given to him by the ancient of days. His father, God the Almighty. And Daniel wakes in a cold sweat. And he goes to another prophet, friend of his, and he tells him of the dream, and his friends gives him the interpretation. The four beasts are kings that will rise on the earth, but that the people of God will receive his kingdom and will possess it forever. But Daniel wants to know more about that fourth beast, the one that truly terrified him. And he's told that the fourth beast is a kingdom that will appear on earth and it will be different from the other kingdoms and and will devour the whole earth, trampling it and crushing it. The people of God will be delivered into the hands of the ruler of this kingdom for a time. And, well, church, it's going to be rough. But ultimately, ultimately, the court will sit And this king's power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. The power, the greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed to the people of God, to the church. And God's kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom. And all the rulers will worship and obey God. And we hear that and we're like, good. Like, like that's that's what we want to hear. That's what we're hoping for. That's the promise that we rest in. And yet... And yet I'm completely struck by Daniel's response to the interpretation given by his trusted confidant. After he has been given this message, Daniel writes in in chapter 7, verse 28, This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts, and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. Daniel is given a vision of the hardship that will come upon the world, and then in the same vision, he is shown how God will make all things right. And we expect that the focus would be on the fact that God makes it right. 
We know that's where the hope lies. We know that's where the focus is supposed to be. But how often, like the fantastic and faithful Old Testament prophet Daniel, the one who went into the lion's den before betraying his God, how often are we like this pillar of faith? faith? And that instead of focusing on what he has promised, we become distracted by what he has allowed to happen. The man who willingly faced a night with lions paled at the thought of facing this beast. Like Daniel, we get distracted by the hurt, we get distracted by the fear, we get distracted by how hard life is. We get distracted by how hard and difficult the Christian walk is and how frustrated we are with the hurdles that are in the way. We get distracted by the disappointment that we have in God for the hard things that he has allowed to happen. And our faces pale. And we grind our teeth and we lose sleep instead of resting in the promises that have been made and will be kept. Do we think, do we think that God was unaware of Daniel's reaction to the vision's interpretation? Do we think that God is unaware of our struggle with disappointment in ourselves and others and in him? God knows. He knew then and he knows now. And though we would have every reason, or he would have every reason to smite us for our doubt and our frustrations and our anger, though he has every right to throw us out of the kingdom and the family for the disappointments that we have been and the disappointments that we have held against him, that we feel towards him, instead, he has done a most wondrous thing. He has given us a gift. He's given us a few gifts. But the one that meets the needs we're expressing this morning was given in a manger many, many years ago. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was born into our world and he faced the things that we faced. He struggled against the things that we struggle with, but he never lost the fight. He, he never failed. He never slipped up. Jesus was perfect and we hated him for it. So he was betrayed and convicted in a rigged trial and sentenced to death. And one day he found himself carrying a cross up a hill. And when he reached the summit of Golgotha, he was nailed to that cross. And as he was fastened there, the Bible tells us that Jesus became sin for us. Our sin was imputed to him. It was, it was given to him all the times that we've been, disappoint, been disappointed in others. All the times that we have been the disappointment, all the times we've failed to do has got what God has asked us to do, all the times that we've slipped into the quagmire on himself. Though he was perfect, though he was blameless, though he had never done a single thing wrong, he took our sin in our place, and there on the cross, he died for each and every one of them. The sin that you know about, the sin you don't want anyone to know about, the sin that you have no idea about, Christ has taken all of it and he has paid the price for all of it. But he did not stay dead. For three days later, he rose from the grave, defeating sin and death. And if we believe in him, if we trust in him, if we rest in the faith that God has given us, then we are saved. For it is by faith in Jesus Christ that we have any hope. That time that Daniel saw when all would be made right, when the king would sit on the throne, all of the good in that vision comes true for those who believe in Jesus. And though we have times of doubt, though we have times of struggle, though we have times of being a disappointment, 
and being disappointed, let us remember that one day the king will be on the throne and all the bad will pass away. We won't even remember it. I don't know what disappointments you have been to others. I don't know all the ways that you've been disappointed in the life that you have been given. But I do know that one day the true king will be on the throne. David was great in his own ways, but he failed so completely in some incredibly important ways. This king will not fail. He will be true. He will be just. He will not let wrongs go left unpunished. He will protect his people. He will rule with a perfection that we can only hope to understand. He will never disappoint us. And though we may pale at the realities of the life that we live today, what a fantastic hope, what an incredible promise that one day we will be so caught up in the fantastic glory of the reality to come that everything that once drained the blood from our faces will be forgotten and we'll enjoy forever the wondrous hope we have in the promises of Christ on the throne. And that is what we celebrate at Christmas. That is what we celebrate at Advent. That's what we celebrate today. During this season, we look with hope, and we do not hope in the way the world hopes. Our hope is not based on the flimsiness of our desires, but on the rock-solid promises of our God, our God who has shown that he keeps his promises. And so during Advent, we look to the promise that one day the king who will fulfill all that a king is supposed to be will be here and will be on the throne and disappointments will be no more for all will be set right. Let us rejoice in the promise of that day and the coming of that king. What a fantastic, glorious, merciful, gracious, and loving God we serve. Amen.